As we continue worship this morning, we look to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20 is what we'll look at today. Luke 2, 15 to 20. And we will take a closer look at this, uh, this particular section of uh, this gospel, of the birth of Jesus Christ narrative here in Luke 2, 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. And because it is uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, uh, I would like to make sure that we read the whole uh, passage to get us the, the full context. So I'm going to read verse 1 all the way through verse 20, even though our focus this morning will be on 15 to 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. Uh, in the scriptures we read this. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as has been told them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is you who revealed to us this story of the birth of our Savior. A story, though very familiar to many of us here in this room, it's a story, Lord, that we recognize is a revelation from you to us. Thank you for the Gospel of Luke. Thank you for your scriptures that tell us what we ought to remember and know about our Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that it tells us about the birth of your Son, the birth of our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And we pray that this season, as we celebrate Christmas, as we enjoy our time with family or we celebrate with a, t- a time with close friends, As we rest, Father, we pray that we will be a time of rejoicing because we know Christ as our Savior and Lord. And Father, we pray that the joy and the hope and and the peace that is availed to us through faith in Jesus Christ might be magnified in our lives this this season. May we truly experience uh, the the. The contentment and joy that comes from knowing Jesus and having Jesus in our life. I pray, Father, for uh, us as we listen to your word, especially, Father, if there's any among us who do not yet know Jesus. Maybe, they, Lord, they know Christmas, but they don't know Christ. And we pray that they would know Christ today. Father, we pray, too, that for the rest of us who do know Christ, that we would respond uh, to this story once again with joyful praise and adoration, with thanksgiving, and with a, a, a yearning and desire to tell others of this good news of great joy that we have received. 
And Lord, we ask that your scripture would challenge us to that end. May your spirit do a work in our hearts and cause your name to be magnified. May your son be glorified this Christmas. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Of all the ancient stories in history, the story of the birth of our Savior is perhaps the most well-known. You know, even if you're new to the Christian faith or you're seeking, perhaps, in the Lord, you've probably learned somewhere along the way in your life that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, even us, for us as Christians, when we celebrate Christmas, it's inevitable. And I hope already, I think I've, I've probably told a, a dozen times to our children what, why we celebrate Christmas. What is it about? We hear and sing it in the songs of, our, of the season. Even if you, you don't even have to go to church to hear the songs. You can go to the grocery store. You can go to your, uh, your, your, uh, the, the malls, and you'll hear these same tunes, these Christmas carols being sung. And if they happen to be the, have the lyrics, you will hear songs about the birth of Christ. And then lots more, we hear it in the sermons and the podcasts that we listen to in this time of the year. Christmas is a, is a very familiar story, and even though, uh, even though maybe the rest of the world does not uh, know Christ, but yet we celebrate Christmas. We're familiar with this story. Christmas is about the birth of our Savior, as one anonymous four-year-old in my house told me. But while the average person on the street can probably tell you about the, the, the gist of the Christmas story, the sad reality is that most people... Don't do anything with it. You know, we, they may celebrate Christmas. They may have meals. They may have uh, decorate their homes even. They may spend time with family, gather together. But the Christmas story itself is simply religious sentiment. Or uh, it's an ancient myth. Or it's a, just a distorted view of, a actual historical, of a historical event about some child that was born. Many people do not see it as the moment when God came in the flesh to earth to save us from our sins. Many treat the story of Jesus' birth as a fictional work of man rather than what it really is. It is truth revealed to us from God. But nevertheless, for us, the story of the birth of our Savior is something that the Lord has made known to us. He's revealed it to us. It's not just what I say, it's what others say, but it's actually what's found in his word here in Luke, as well as in Matthew. But more, and as we study it, it is more than just a story to know. It's more than just truth to, to, to understand. But it's truth that causes us to respond to, to, re- to apply in our lives. This morning's passage reminds us that we need to respond to the message of Christ's birth, that it should cause and transform us and change us, and especially those of us here that are Christians. You know, Christmas is a time that should cause us to react to these, this story. It should, especially this time of year, because we, the emphasis is on the birth and coming of Christ it reminds us of, of that very moment that transformed all human history. It's that moment that transformed each and every life of ours that has come to know Jesus Christ. It's changed us. It's transformed us. And if it's changed to transform you, it's a story that we need to respond to, re- uh, to apply in our lives. And today's text uh, is such a passage. Today is our, our third part of our sermon series, to The Birth of Christ. We've now, this is the third time, and we're in verse 15 to 20. We've looked at the birth of Christ uh, in verse 1 to 7, and then the announcement of it in verses 8 through 14. Today, we want to look at the response to the announcement of the birth of Christ. Now, remember, the Gospel of Luke was written as an authoritative and accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, written for the purpose of giving assurance of the truth of Jesus. So when we read these scriptures, it gives us assurance Especially if you're a new or young believer, uh, we sometimes have a lot of doubt. And doubt's even more, even, even as you grow older, you may at times have doubt. But when you come back to God's word as a, as a child of God, when you read these scriptures, it's designed to give you assurance of your faith, that these things truly happen. And when you search for it, as, as uh, individuals have searched to understand the historical events of Jesus, 
that you truly come to realize that these things did take place because they are revealed to us by God. Dr. Luke records with great care and detail a historical record of how Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan and promises for salvation. Um, Now, I love this passage because it's basically, uh, it's one of those preachable texts. When pastors talk about texts that are preachable, we just simply mean that some texts just lend to application readily. It's almost you can just kind of exhort, 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 and, you know, you're done. In fact, I've simply, you haven't read it. If you, if you read it with an attentive ear, if you are looking for an example, you, you can't, we can't help but associate or uh, identify with these shepherds in this passage. These are the most ordinary people. And almost those here are probably consider ourselves ordinary people. And we can identify with their response. And we can imitate and learn from their response. And that's what we find here. But there's one little thing that I want to kind of draw through our sermon today, and we wouldn't normally get to it if we looked at all of 1 through 20, but because we get to focus a little more on these verses, we'll see that Luke here emphasizes that the knowledge, that the shepherd's knowledge of the birth of Christ isn't just something that they figured out on their own, but it's something that the Lord had made known to them. The Lord had revealed to them. Underlying their desire to follow, underlying the desire to follow the shepherd's down is this awareness that we are ultimately responding to God's truth, God's revelation. When God says something to you, it should cause us to respond. It's not just something to say, okay, thank you, but oh, what will I do with this? What, what can I do with this? God just told me this. What will I do with it? And hopefully this morning, as we are reminded of what God has revealed to us, that a Savior has been born for us. We won't just say, oh, that's nice, thank you. But they will say, what should I do with this? How will I respond to this? And the shepherds make a great example. All right, so let's take a look at these as an outline for us. Three responses to what the Lord has made known to us about the birth of his son. Number one, first thing that we should respond, or the shepherds respond, to what the Lord had made known to them about the birth of the son is this, that they believed. They believed what the Lord had made known to them. Now, I know the word believe is not found in this text, in these uh, first two verses of 15 and 16. We not, you do not find it there what, at all. But underlying all the actions that they are going to take, the confidence in which they are going to have, and, uh, and, uh, and, sub, and then the subsequent uh, response, underlying it all is faith, that they believed. The angel, uh, angel's message. Let's look at verse 15. Now, verse 15, when the angels had gone away, so the angels finished their anthem of glory and praise to God, all of a sudden they go back up to heaven. Uh, it's all of a sudden there was what was just glorious light is now darkness again, the darkness of night. What was a, a beautiful, the, probably the most, perhaps the most beautiful anthem of praise that's ever been heard on this earth is now filled with silence. The shepherds are left there in the dark and the silence. In awe, they're probably in wonder. The grammar here indicates that the shepherds immediately begin discussing among themselves. And that's very natural because they're thinking, did you see what I just saw? Did you hear just what I heard? They're probably, you know, I think if any of us saw this, we would have thought that maybe we were deluded at first. Maybe we we were just kind of mistaken in what we saw. Was that real? Can you believe what happened? And then as they discussed, they, they would come to realize that they'd all seen the same thing. They'd all heard the same thing. And so it couldn't have been something that was imaginary to any one person because they all heard it. And so they immediately respond. And in those initial moments, as they confirm with one another what they had seen and heard, they conclude one very important thing. They believed the angel's announcement. They believed that what the angel said was true. They believed God's word. They believed it because you notice how they respond. Notice their act of faith. So when we believe, it, belief is not just something, even though it is in a, a volition of our mind, it's a response of, of our heart and, and mind to truths of God, yet it always, faith always results in action. We always talk about when we have faith in Jesus Christ, it will inevitably produce fruit in our lives. You'll see it in how we live. 
And so their act of faith is, let us go straight to Bethlehem. They plan to go to Bethlehem to see the newborn baby, to see this Savior that has been born. And you remember, they conclude that they're going to go to Bethlehem, although the angel did not command them to do so. The angel did not say, I have good news of great joy, for today in the city of Bethlehem has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and therefore you should go find him. The angel doesn't do that. The angel's words imply that they would because he tells them, here's the sign. The sign is this, that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And that was enough. The revelation of God was enough for these shepherds to respond, to believe what the angel said, and they conclude, let us go see this thing. Let us go see. If I told you there's a a million dollars buried in my backyard, you would have to first ask yourself, do I believe Pastor Henry? And if you believe Pastor Henry, then I would expect you to be in my backyard with a shovel. But if not, then you, there's going to be a million dollars just sitting in my backyard. But there is no million dollars sitting in my backyard. Okay, so. But if you believe, you'll respond, right? You'll respond to these truths. Now, uh, they respond. They go. And uh, they, they know the sign that they were to look for, a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Uh, now, notice, not only do they act of faith, what they conclude to do, they're going to go straight to Bethlehem. That's what they did. But notice the confidence in which they have of this. It's the confidence of their shepherd's faith. They will go see this thing that has happened. I love the, you know, the scriptures and that it's very particular. God is particular. He's a, his words matter. The tenses matter. And the tense here is that it has happened. They want to see this thing that has happened. They refer, this is referring to uh, the birth of Jesus. These shepherds recognize that it has happened. Even though the angels told them they haven't seen it, but they believe that it has happened. They don't say, let us go see this thing that might have happened. They don't say, let us go see this thing that if it's happened, it's a response of faith. It's a confidence of faith that says, let's go see this thing that has happened. There's no doubt in their mind. What the angel said was true. They believed it. They expected their faith to be rewarded with sight. Notice the basis of the faith. Why do they have such confidence? Is it because the angels told them? They want to see this thing that has happened. Notice that is that which is that which the Lord has made known to us. Their confidence, their faith is because this truth about the birth of a seer isn't just from angels. It's because the Lord had made known it to us. They clearly understood that when an angel speaks, they speak only on the authority of God. And when the angel speaks revelation, he is speaking a revelation from God himself. Zacharias understood that. Mary would have understood that. And these shepherds understood it. They believed it because it was God's word. That's what gave them confidence. They believed, uh, and that's why it caused them to act on that word by seeking out the child. It's faith is the first response to revelation from God that then results in the act of seeking out. The shepherd's response of faith is similar to Mary's response of faith. Remember Mary's response of faith in chapter 1, the uh, verse 36 to 45 is where we find that. When Gabriel, the angel, had announced her that she would give birth to the Son of God and then told her, as a, basically as a sign, how her relative Elizabeth had also conceived in her old age. As soon as the angel departed, what did Mary do? Verse 39, Mary arose and went in a hurry to see Elizabeth. She believed the angel's message, and so she got up and she went in a hurry. She quickly went. She went because she believed the angel's message. And how do we know she believed that message? Because later in verse 45, when Elizabeth interacts with Mary, Elizabeth says these words of Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary believed the word of the Lord, and that's why she went in a hurry to see Elizabeth to see and share in the joy of the promise of the angel to, and ultimately the promise of God to these women. 
But here, and notice here in verse 16, the shepherds also came in a hurry. You know, when you believe something's true, when, when something as good of a news as this, when someone is basically the Savior, the Messiah, the, someone whom they, all of Israel have been looking for all this time has arrived, they don't dilly-dally. They say, wow, when I have time, I'm busy right now. These people come in a hurry and found their way to Mary, Joseph, and the baby. They leave everything behind. These are shepherds. They leave their sheep behind. It's not, this was their livelihood. This was their responsibility. This would have been, if they were lost the sheep, they would have most likely lost their jobs and their livelihood. It was their treasure, but they left it all behind, and they went to find the baby, to find what God had promised. There's an urgency, an eagerness to see the child. You know, you know when the Lord's drawing you to faith? You guys remember back those days? Some of you may be there, and I want to speak to some of you. You know, maybe you're not yet a believer. You kind of, you know, you've heard about Jesus. Maybe some friends brought you here today. Maybe uh, relatives have brought you here today. And you're, you're, you know that Christmas is about the birth of Christ. But you know, a lot of people hear that story and don't do anything about it. But you know, God is working in you when you hear this story and you get sense an urgency, an eagerness, a, a desire to want to see more, to understand more of this. And when you feel that, you, you keep looking for it. You keep seeking it. You ask about it to the people around you. You hear You listen to the sermons. You go read about it for, uh, uh, in the books. Try to understand this story of the significance of the birth of the Savior. The shepherds, they, they are urgently, they eagerly go. Now, how they find the child is not mentioned. Because you can imagine how many feeding troughs are in Bethlehem. Probably a lot. And they, but these are shepherds, so they kind of know basically probably where all the general feeding troughs are. Maybe there's one that's well known. Maybe, uh, maybe they just they went through, they spread out and they looked through all of them until they found one. But however they found the child, they found him exactly as the Lord had made known to them. He was in a manger, a feeding trough. Uh, notice that they find him. There's, how they find him is that they don't mention, it doesn't mention here of how the child is wrapped in claws even though he is. But that what they look for is a sign. that They look for a baby, a newborn baby, lying in a feeding trough, in a manger. The Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Messianic King has come, has been born. And of all places in the world, he is found in a feeding trough. A humble manger. That is a sign to behold. God's word proved true for these, with these shepherds. And when God makes known his word to you, the first proper response that anyone can ever make is to believe God's word. If you're here and you're, you're hearing this for the first time, Jesus Christ, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a savior of the world. He's the Christ, he's the Lord. And your response, the God's desire for you is that you respond in faith. Will you believe in this truth? Before you act, before you obey, before you seek, you must believe what God says is true. You must understand that this book is God's word. And when he speaks in this word, it is a true word. So well, how can I know, you know, uh, maybe, there, maybe it's just written books written by men, but I would tell you even before it's proven to you that as you read this book, you will find that it's consistent with all reality. Truth is that. It is consistent with reality. It will prove itself over years because God has spoken and he does not make errors. When God makes known his word to you, it should cause you to respond in faith. Faith is the response to God's word. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When we hear God's word, it, should, it is an opportunity for which we can respond in faith. Without God's word, there is no opportunity to respond in faith. It's not like you see a oh, bright light, then I believed in Jesus. It's not like, oh, I felt a tingling, and then I believed in Jesus. It's because I heard the words about who Jesus is. That's when I believed in Jesus. Anything else is a false faith. It's not faith in Jesus. It's faith in the tingling or in the sunlight. Have you heard about Jesus? 
have you? Will you believe in Jesus? If you believe, then you'll seek as the shepherds did. Next of all, we find there's a second response. Not only did they believe God's word, which resulted in them seeking out the Savior to follow after the Savior. And all of us who have believed God's word should be continually seeking the Savior, following the Savior. Second, the response of the shepherds is this, that they testified then to what the Lord had made known to them. They testified. They spoke about what God had revealed to them. We see this in verse 17 to 19. Upon seeing the baby in the manger, when they had seen this, so they, their faith became sight at that moment. They saw the baby there in the, in the feeding trough. The shepherds then opened their mouths. They made known what the angel had told them about Jesus. And what did the angel tell them about Jesus? Remember back in Luke 2, 10 and 12. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It's the gospel that brings joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is, the, this is the announcement. This is the significance. The news that had been made known to them, that joy has come for all the people, is the joy that comes from having a Savior, a Deliverer, a Savior from sin. It's the joy of having the Christ come, the Anointed One, a reference to the mess, a, mess, a King who would come, who would reign over the whole world. And He is the Lord, the Divine One, God in the flesh. Again, notice that their message is, that is something that was not of their own making. Their message was something that God had made known to them. They made known the statement which had been told them about the child. This is not their words. This is God's words. This is a message that they received from him. And they were willing to testify of this message. They risked ridicule and scorn to tell others that this baby lying in a manger would be the Messiah. And just imagine, even for us, you know, if, if uh, today when you go home, all of a sudden someone comes up to you and says to you, oh, I've seen an angel. No, I, I've seen a whole host of angels. And they were singing praise to God. And you know what they told me? The Messiah has been born. Yeah. We would think they might be a little crazy. Okay, of course, we know that Jesus has come. But even in that day, before Christ came, there would have been a life, what are you saying? And then went to top it off, off oh, we, he has come and, he, and he's a baby in a feeding trough. He's a baby in where they put the, the scraps of food that we, are left over for the animals to eat. That's not where you expect to find a savior. That's not where you expect to find a king. That's not where you expect to find God in the flesh. But that's where he is. But they risked everything to tell others about the story, what has been revealed to them, the story of Jesus' birth. And this is a clear example for us to follow. This is very preachable. I don't even need to tell you. uh, But I think you just read it and you feel a little twinge of like challenge, right? I want to tell others about this truth. As those who've been told the truth of the Son of God, we who believe ought to testify what we know. And we don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed or afraid, especially around this time of season. We're speaking God's truths, God's word. And those who reject it are, are rejecting us. They're rejecting God. Now, the shepherd's testimony as they testify of, of, who, of, of the birth of the Savior, there are two kinds of responses that we see. Two responses that we see here in verses 18 and 19 to their message. First of all, there's these, in the, of these two responses, there is a response of, of wonder. A response of wonder. There is wonder in verse 18. And it, this would seem to be a widespread kind of, joy, of, of wonder. And all who heard it wondered. 
Wherever the shepherds went, they, they went, they probably told Mary, they told Joseph, they told anyone they could hear in Bethlehem, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered. They were awed. They marveled at this word. Um, this word uh, simply means when, when people hear something that's, that's awe-inspiring, it makes them, wow, that's neat, that's cool, that's crazy in our common language. And you can imagine, if you did hear a message, you would think, oh, that's crazy. Angels? The Savior? Is born? In a feeding trough? Ah, oh, well, there'd be, there'd be a, a sense of wonder to it, an awe, a marveling. And though they felt awe, though they felt wonder and marvel, it did not necessarily mean that they believed, though. Everyone feels it. It's sort of when you hear something that is, is really far out, generally people are like, wow. That's weird. It's kind of like you, you heard the news, of, or maybe some of you saw that little you know, cloud in the sky a few nights earlier. It's like All of us were like, whoa, what is that? Right? Did you see it? I saw it. Okay. I was like, whoa, what's that? That's what a meteor, they say. Or aliens. No, meteor. But there's an awe when things are like strange and we've never... And everyone felt awe and wonder about the story of this child that the shepherds are telling... But it didn't mean they were all believing. How do we know? Because this word we find elsewhere in Luke, in Luke 4.22. It actually just comes across many times in Luke. But in Luke 4, where Jesus appears to Nazareth, people who know him, people who he's grown up with, and he shows up in the synagogue, and he, and he opens the scriptures, and, he, and he, then he starts talking, reading, and then explaining it, there is immediately a, a similar response, a response of wonder among people. They were wondering at his words. They said, whoa. This is Jesus, son of Joseph. What's well, this kind of? This is far out. How come? He, where did he get this? He's not a priest, is he? How does he? He's not a scribe, is he? Why does he have such wisdom and knowledge? There's an awe of it, but they did not believe because as Jesus starts elaborating to them of the truth of who he is and what it would mean for them and what it would cause them to do, they got upset. And you know what they did? They, they were filled with rage and they, with murderous intent, they brought him to the cliff outside Nazareth so they could throw him down. Though just a few months earlier, they were in awe and wonder. You see, wonder is a natural response to things that were supernatural, amazing, different, far out, but does not necessarily lead to faith. But wonder can lead to faith. As we see in the second response, a response of, to, of treasure and ponder. A response where Mary herself will treasure and ponder this truth, these news. Mary treasured all these things. And the grammar here indicates that this was, a, this was something that wasn't just a one-time thing, but an ongoing contemplation. She considered it the, even when the word English word treasure can give us the, it's something worth holding on to, pot, thinking about, that you don't just kind of go, you know, we read a lot of stuff. You know, you re, I, I'm, a, I'm a news junkie. And a lot of just comes to my mind, and then like next day, I'm like, I forgot. You know, but for Mary, this was all that what she heard from the shepherds was something that she came in her mind and she treasured it. She, was, she contemplated it. She considered it something valuable. She reflected upon it. The phrase pondering them in her heart it further elaborates it. it, it it's sort of a, it's a defined as a, a type of contemplation that attempts to put to thoughts together in an understandable whole. That is, all that she was hearing about Jesus from these shepherds, she was trying to put it together with other things that she heard about Jesus from, say, the angel Gabriel or the words that she heard from, uh, from Elizabeth. And she was trying to piece it all together, pondering them in her heart. And our hearts where basically, at least in the Hebrew thought, is where you would consider everything. It's a mission control. It controls your life. They pondered them. She treasured them. She was trying to understand it all. What's the significance of it? And this wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a pattern in her life. Later on in verse 51 of chapter 2, when she loses Jesus in Jerusalem, remember what happens when he's uh, like uh, 12 years old or so? She loses him in Jerusalem. He expl- and then he's found in the temple later on. Three days later, she reminds him, tell what are you doing here? Why, are you do- why did you do this to us? 
he, Jesus explains to her, why didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And Mary then did the same thing. She treasured all these things. She pondered them in her heart. She was pleasing together. Mary was responding to these words by basically with, with, a, uh, with a desire to understand, to understand, to delve into, understand its significance for her and for the world. Uh, we, some wonder, did she, was she a believer this time? A believer in Christ? In, in, not so much in our technical sense, where we would say believers in Christ, which she didn't, we completely understood who Jesus was. But definitely by Acts 1.14, the early, in Acts 1, in the early church, she was among those early worshipers. And I believe that's a result because she genuinely sought to understand. She wasn't just, she was just wonder, but she went beyond wondering to try to understand and think about and treasure these thoughts and consider them as the word revelation from God to be heard, understood, and applied to one's life. And she's an example to all of us, especially those of us who are unsure here. Those who are still seeking, maybe we've heard, we know someone who's a believer, but, and they told us about Jesus, but maybe we're not yet sure about what we think about Jesus. But whatever you hear, don't just be in wonder alone, but be like Mary. Treasure them. Consider them in your mind. Ponder them in your heart. Try to understand what it means. Because if God has revealed it to you, then shouldn't you not try to grasp its significance for our life? The God of the universe has spoken this to us in his word. And the fact that you're here this morning, you should see as a sign from God that he wants you to understand this truth. It's something that's worth he wants you to consider. That he wants you to understand. For if God has revealed it to you, should you not then ask questions about what I should do with that? If God has sent you a Savior, then you should be asking, what do I need a Savior for? It's for your sins. If God has sent you the Christ, also known as the Anointed One, the Messiah, who is the Anointed One, who would be the, mess, the King, the promised coming King, then you should ask yourself, why did He need to come? Why do I need a King? If God has sent us the Lord... That is, that he is the son of God, God in the flesh, then you should be asking yourself, if he is God, then is he my God? Is he my Lord? Does my life reflect a submission to him? These are questions that should, that should come out of a pondering, a reflection upon the truths that we, are heard, that we hear from others. But brothers and sisters, those of us here who know Jesus Christ already, our fellow, uh, the people that we're trying, to, our fellow loved ones who are, we're trying to reach with the gospel, they will never have the opportunity to ponder the truths of Jesus if we, as God's people, do not testify of what the Lord has made known to them. Right? What God has made known, we need to testify of it. I need to testify of it. You need to testify. There's a third and final point uh, response for the shepherds that we've complied ourselves to is that they glorify God. They glorified God for what the Lord had made known to them, revealed to them. Verse 20, the shepherds went back. They went back to that which they had left behind, their flocks. And along the way, as they go back, they, were, they went back worshiping God. Notice two words are used here, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Two words are used for their worship here. Uh, I want to focus, just kind of elaborate a little more on those words. The first word is glorifying. They were glorifying God as they, as they went back to their flock. The first, this first word means to basically to, can mean to praise in general, but it's a praise that recognizes the value or the worth or the, the glory or honor that is deserved by the one whom we're praising. Because it often is, occurs when God has somehow manifested himself in a powerful, uh, miraculous, uh, uh, new manner. And then the ones who are witnesses will see that, they'll recognize, and they'll say, this is something that God did. And then they'll say, God is worthy of our glory and our honor because he's done this amazing, miraculous thing. Luke will often use this word throughout the gospel, and he'll emphasize how Jesus' ministry would often lead to glorifying God. We put down uh, all the references here in, in Luke. 
when a, a paralytic was healed by Jesus in Luke 5, it resulted in glorifying God, not only by the paralytic himself, but the people that were standing around and watching it. In Luke 7, verse 16, when the son, the, the only son of a widow was raised by Jesus from the dead, everyone was glorifying God. The same goes for a woman who was bent over double and healed by Jesus in Luke 13, 13. There was glorifying God. Same goes for the, a leper who was healed in Luke 17, 15. A blind man healed in Luke 18, 43. And even more importantly, when, a, when the death, when Jesus died on the cross and was witnessed by a Roman centurion, even the Roman centurion was glorifying God in Luke 23, 47. Every time a powerful manifestation of God causes others to glorify God. When we see God doing amazing, wonderful things, we glorify God because God did that. God is worthy of our glory. God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of all honor. Amen. And when you think that, you don't, it's not just something you think secretly in your heart. Okay? It's not just, oh, yeah, oh, praise God. Praise God. He's so good. He's so wonderful. Oh, dear Lord, it's silent. And I mean, I'm silently pray, Lord, Lord, you are worthy. There's praising that going on. That's the second word, praising God. Uh, this, is a, this is a word that basically uh, means joyful praise of God in him or prayer. So either it's going to bust out in song or it's going to bust out in prayer, but it's a joyful praise. It's something you feel with great joy and exuberance. Of the eight times this word is used in the New Testament, six of them are found in Luke. So Luke really likes this word. This verb, um, and more significantly, this verb is found in just a few verses earlier in verse 13. There suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. And you know the angels weren't silent. They were singing in an anthem of praise. And so you can imagine the shepherds who were, saw what had just happened. They were, they, what they heard, they saw, and they testified, and now they just glorified. And they was, knew that God was worthy and knew that he was worthy of honor, and they wanted to praise him. And they did so. They joined the anthem of praise. Brothers and sisters, have we joined the anthem of praise? When you were singing today, I know sometimes those songs, Christmas carols are some of the hardest songs to sing. I know. But in your heart, did you feel the joyfulness? Did you sense that this is my Savior whose birth we celebrate this Christmas? This is the Savior that I know. I love him, and I know that he loves me because he sent his son to die for me. This is one I praise. And this is not just something we do in the privacy of homes. It expressed in praise to God. Notice the cause of their, the, the reason, the cause of their praise is that for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Again, this emphasis that it is what God has revealed to them that they give praise for. A lot of times we, uh, as, especially those of you who grew up in the church, some of you guys, anybody who grew up in the church? Okay, some of you guys are back, grew up in the church, okay. Glad to have you back. You know, I would, I sure hope that if I came up and asked you, those of you the adults who grew up in the church, I want to ask you right now, why do you believe, why do you believe in Jesus? You're, going to, you're not going to tell me, oh, it's because my loving mom and dad told me. Or it's because I heard all of PH, your sermons, and it's because in your sermons I believed. It's because, you're not going to say, it's because my favorite Sunday school teacher taught me these truths and I believed. Ultimately, along the way, right, as children, you, as I know it's one of those struggles for everybody who grows in the church. Eventually, you start asking yourself, do I believe this because my mom and dad or my Sunday school teacher or my pastor told me? Or do I believe this because this is what I find in God's word? God has revealed this to me. And God has caused me to believe this truth. And I'm convicted of, it, in, of this truthfulness of the gospel that the Lord is our Savior. And he's, and he's come. He's been born. And he's come and he died on the cross. And he rose from the grave. And God offers salvation from sins to everyone who believes in him. And I believed in him. And I know my sins are forgiven. And therefore, that's why I glorify and praise him. Amen. Right? I hope that's the truth for many of you who have heard this story years over years over years. It's no longer because you had heard it from 
people, but it's now because you've heard it, you know it, because God has revealed it to you in his word. You ever have doubt? Go back to God's word and read it for yourself. They worshiped. In fact, I, I believe they couldn't help but respond with worship. No one could, in a sense, stop them. Even though, yeah, practically someone could have stopped them, I'm sure. But that it was, in, it was an inevitable response to their life to, to sing praise to God for what they had seen and heard. It's similar to the scene we find in Acts chapter 4. When we're, uh, in Acts chapter 4, when the Sanhedrin forbade the apostles from ever speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus, there in 4, 19 and 20, uh, Peter and John answered, respond to the Sanhedrin, the religious story of the day. They said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The apostles were convicted that what they saw and heard about Jesus, they could not be silent about. And these shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had also heard and seen. The same two words are used, heard and seen. Brothers and sisters, what have you heard and what have you seen about the birth of Jesus Christ, about the truth of his birth? And what is it that God causes you to respond? I hope that is you've also sensed that I cannot stop speaking about it. I need to testify to somebody about it. I hope it's also that you cannot stop from worshiping God and glorifying God for it because it is a joy that you've come to know. Here's a question for self-examination. If someone were to command you to stop glorifying and praising God for what you have seen and heard of Jesus, would anyone notice a difference in your life? Brothers and sisters, the Lord has made known to us that the truth of Jesus' incarnation salvation. It is the good news of great joy. How can we keep silent? How can we? How can I? How can we celebrate Christmas in our homes, in our companies, in our fellowships, and not glorify and praise God for the precious gift of his son and the salvation that is found in him and him alone? It is a salvation from sin and its judgment at the hand of a holy God. We have come to know a salvation in sin who... Uh, a salvation from sin in the Son who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for our sins. We have come to know a salvation that is sovereignly ordained by the promises and plan of God. We have come to know a salvation that is secure because the Lord has made known to us these truths. Not because I said it, not because someone we respect has said it, but because God has made it known to us. Therefore, let us respond as the shepherds did. The shepherds believed God, the shepherds testified of God, and the shepherds glorified God. Now, if you're not here, you're not yet a Christian, you may be wondering, boy, you're sure emphasizing uh, unbelievers really today. Well, because you're here on the Sunday before Christmas, and I don't know if you ever get a chance to come back. But I want you to know, if you're, if you're here and you've heard the story, God has revealed to you the truth of his son's birth. It is the most important truth you will ever hear in your whole life. That God sent his son to come to this world. When he was born, he was born ultimately to die. To die in your place for your sins. Because we can die for our sins. We were, we're incapable but God sent his son so that he would take our place on the cross so that if we believe in him, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We might know that righteousness. We might have our sins forgiven. Today, respond in faith. Respond in belief. Believe. Now, if you're a Christian, God has revealed the truth of his son's birth so that you might respond to it. Let us learn from the shepherds. Let's believe, be continually believing God's word, God's revelation. Let's tell others about this. We're all going to celebrate Christmas in a few days. You're going to be at different homes. I know it's maybe sometimes awkward, especially if you're young and you're surrounded by all your aunties and uncles and your grandmas and grandpas. But you know, if there's a time to talk about this, why you celebrate Christmas or why you're thankful, take some time to 
Say, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. And pray. You know, you've got to elaborate more than that. If people want to hear, they'll say, what do you mean by that? And you share with them. If, if they don't want to hear, they'll say, ooh, that's nice. And you kind of know. But take every opportunity. God may give you open doors to testify of Jesus. And then whatever else, everybody else does, make sure that you glorify him, that you worship him, that you praise him in your celebration of Christmas this season. As we, let's follow the example of the shepherds. Right? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for these truths. Thank you for the example of the shepherds. We pray that you would cause us to respond as they did, to believe, to testify, and to glorify you. Father, we've, especially those of us that are Christians for a long time, it's often easy to, get, to, to take your, this story for granted. We've heard it so many times. It's easy to, uh, to just caught up, get caught up with the, the celebration of Christmas and miss out on Christ. The Lord calls us to celebrate all of, the, of what we do this Christmas season with a joyful, thankful, worshipful heart that recognizes that Christ was born, our Savior from sin. And Lord, may you open up doors for us to testify to others, to share with others about the joy that we have this Christmas season. Lord, let, if anyone's here right now, let them not go and not just not believe in Jesus. Let them not go another Christmas without knowing Christ. Father, open their eyes now. Cause them to respond with faith and belief in what you have said. Cause them to, the wonder that they feel this season, to cause them to respond, to ponder, to meditate, to seek out the truth. May you show them clearly that truth. Grant them faith to believe. Lord, we ask these things for your glory in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.